What tools do tribes, communities, and governments need to meet the increasing challenge of a rapidly changing Arctic climate? It takes comprehensive and wide-ranging research to help build policies for mitigation, adaptation, and risk management. Coordinating the collection of that science between government agencies, local leaders, and Arctic residents requires an intense amount of planning. The new five-year Arctic research plan starts now. We'll discuss what researchers will need from the public to help protect the people and resources of the far north, today on Talk of Alaska. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. Most people who received a COVID vaccine still have great protection against hospitalization and death. However, if you're 16 and older and it's been six months since your last Pfizer or Moderna dose, or two months since your Johnson & Johnson vaccine, you are now eligible for a booster. Learn more at covidvax.alaska.gov or call the Alaska COVID helpline at 907-646-3322. This message sponsored by Department of Health and Social Services. The views expressed on this program are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Hello, it's Talk of Alaska. I'm Lori Townsend. The Arctic is the world's thermostat. A story reported by The Guardian last week documented a near doubling of lightning strikes in the high Arctic in 2021. Warming conditions that pump more moisture into the atmosphere are evidenced by disappearing sea ice and weather events like lightning that would have been unheard of in the Arctic in decades past are the result. Animals, plants, fish, and other marine life and humans are all migrating north. What does this mean for the future of an area with a fragile ecosystem, and what can be done to help stave off the worse effects of rapid change? Here to help us better understand what's at stake, what's needed, and how researchers plan to continue adding to the science and understanding of climate change is Mike Sfraga, the chair of the U.S. Arctic Research Commission. Mike is also the founding director of the Polar Institute. Welcome, Mike. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Also, thanks for being here, Mike. Also, Nikush Carlo is the Arctic Research Plan Development Director and CEO of CNC North Consulting. Hello, Nikush. Thanks for joining us today. Hello. Glad to be here. And Larry Hinsman is the Executive Director of the Interagency Arctic Research Policy Committee, or IARPIC. Larry, thanks for being on with us. Very much, Larry. We're excited to be here. Also, Alaskans, you can join us. Do you have a specific question about how this five-year plan differs from past Arctic research plans? Are you documenting change in your region and want to know how to submit your observations? Have you been surprised by the rate of change you've seen? What are your concerns for the future of the Arctic? You can call us statewide at 1-800-478-8255. That's 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, 550-8422. You can also email questions or comments to talk at alaskapublic.org. Larry, I, I want to start with you. The plan was released just about uh, one month ago. Uh, it was released on December 15th. You mentioned earlier that this plan is different from previous five-year plans and that it focuses on practical needs for Arctic people in four priority areas. Flesh those out for us. 
Sure, I'm glad to. So the the federal agencies, so this is the federal Arctic Research Plan, and federal agencies have been uh, conducting work in Alaska for for a long time. And in uh, 1984, the Congress decided that that we needed to to have an an arrangement, an, an organization that can help the agencies work together in understanding the Arctic. And so the uh, IARPIC, the Interagency Arctic Research Policy Committee, of which I'm the executive director, and the Arctic Research Commission, which Mike is the chair, were established. And the purpose was to to help the agencies work together and avoid duplication of efforts. But also there was, uh, particularly following the construction of the pipeline, that the agencies learned how much they did not know. And so there was a big effort to try and, and and advance the understanding of the Arctic and of of, of uh, Alaska in general, but uh, the Arctic in particular. And so they uh, they realized that uh, that they wanted to avoid duplication, but also there was a tremendous amount to be gained through collaborations. And so the, the uh, IARPIC was established to facilitate that partnership, those uh, sharing of of understanding and sharing of data and sharing of resources among the agencies. And then about ten years ago the uh, IARPIC, the, the director of IARPIC then was Brendan Kelly and the National Science Foundation that this portion of it was led by Simon Stevenson realized that there was a tremendous amount of knowledge that was not in the federal government, but in, in non-federal organizations and entities and individuals. And so IARPIC created this process to get federal researchers to, to collaborate with non-federal researchers, meaning, meaning the state of Alaska researchers or universities or, uh, or the um, um, NGOs, non, non-government organizations or, or uh, indigenous organizations and individuals. And so the, uh, there was just this tremendous partnership where they could leverage so much activity and create uh, such a, a a wonderful advancement of science just by working together. And so the, uh, it was just amazing how much was accomplished just by sharing of understanding. And over the last uh, 10 years, getting back to your question, Laurie, over the past 10 years, the Arctic, the Arctic Research Plan, the Federal Arctic Research Plan has really been focused on understanding the natural process, environmental processes, uh, biologic processes, physical sciences, and, and some social sciences. But it wasn't really focused on the uh, the issues that we're facing every day, as far as the topics, the the critical issues you see in the front of the of the uh, Anchorage Daily News or the Fairbanks Daily News Miter. It's not the the important problems that are facing society. And so what we've done now is we're we're taking we're building upon all the work that's been done over the last decades, and we're trying to address some of those more urgent needs of our communities, such as. You know, the coastal erosion, how that affects village relocation. And so trying to come together with some of those really critical issues that are that are being faced by our communities and by the individuals in our communities today. And I'll stop there. Thanks. And and uh, just following up quickly, does does that mean that you've essentially sort of established the baselines uh, um, in those other areas? And so now you can move on to how to m- make these practical adaptations? That's that's a good assessment. Yes, and that I won't say we've we've established the understanding. There's still a lot we don't know. However, we are building upon what has been done and what we do know. And so the the work about still understanding, you know, how the uh, 
uh, how changing sea ice affects the uh, uh, climate dynamics and how that affects the degradation of permafrost and how that affects river runoff. You know, there's still a lot we don't know in that regard, and it still affects global climate dynamics. And so there's still a lot of work to do. However, we do have a, a good base of knowledge right now to really look at, you know, how uh, how uh, the changing ocean circulation, how that's affecting coastal erosion, and then how that affects the, uh, the communities. So there is a lot we can do now with the knowledge that we have. And so we're, we're trying to take on those more complex, those higher level questions. All right. Thank you, Larry, for getting us started there. Nikush, I want to turn to you now. In consideration of, of uh, this kind of new idea of focusing on the needs of communities. How do you work with communities to help define those practical needs from their perspective? Yeah, so let me start first um, with your question about why I'm excited about the Arctic Research Plan. I'm really passionate about work that includes people that might not otherwise be heard. So indigenous leadership, knowledge, problem solving, and solutions in processes that guide the delivery and use of resources. And in this particular topic of Arctic research, communities in Alaska have firsthand on the ground, and in some cases, multi-generational knowledge and experience that's really critical to informing how research is conducted on what topics um, and how the results can be used for their own decision-making. So IARPIC is really trying to be responsive to communities by engaging, by listening, by including um, their ideas when identifying strategic priorities as we've done here. I, at the outset, say that, you know, this has not um, happened perfectly, but IARPIC is going to keep trying to do this and going to do even better going forward. And so the Arctic Research Plan puts in some mechanisms to support this, what we're talking about in sort of equity and research and in climate change um, solutions. Um, so this really is a very um, different uh, plan. It's a bold strategy for the federal agencies to be more nimble, to collaboratively um, help understand and support resilience in the face of a rapidly um, changing Arctic. I don't think it's been mentioned yet um, what the uh, priority areas are of the Arctic Research Plan, um, but you know, one of the key things is that we've really shifted from um, focusing primarily on um, sort of singular or disciplinary environmental processes to a, having this link in, in, in bringing in societal issues that require a much more complex and multidimensional approach. So the plan is a high-level strategy. It outlines key research goals. Um, it builds on the successes of previous research plans. But I just want to mention quickly that the goals, um, that, the, that there are four priority areas, they each have goals. Um, the priority areas are community resilience and health, Arctic systems interactions, sustainable economies and livelihoods, and risk management and hazard mitigation. So these are all cross-cutting. They require many different types of knowledge to come together. Um, and then we have um, a set of foundational activities that are meant to support this multidisciplinary approach. Um, and this gets back to your question about um, uh, including uh, communities and input from outside the federal government and these sorts of processes. Um, the five foundational activities are data management, education, training, and capacity building, monitoring, observing, modeling, and prediction, 
participatory research and indigenous leadership in research and technology uh, innovation and application. Um, so we're really hoping that this um, plan structure and how we've set this up uh, will provide those mechanisms for um, Arctic researchers, for, for residents to really drive the work that we do. And can you give us an example of how what that means, as especially as it relates to listening to ing, Indigenous residents and their long-term observations? How how has incorporating that knowledge, uh, that science, into the work changed in the years that you've been doing this? Well, I'll speak from the plant process side of things, um, which is this process that we took this round, and there's been at least two um, previous five-year plans. Um, and we did a couple of things um, differently, and we've been on Talk of Alaska a number of times. Thank you, Lori, for having us um, and talked about this a, a little bit. But we held two different engagement periods. Um, we did a lot of background research um, looking at the um, plans and uh, priorities that were written um, from uh, uh, federal, state, local, tribal, um, international uh, communities that were relevant to Arctic research. And then we also held two engagement periods, one before the plan was even drafted, asking, uh, asking people for um, their, their ideas and their um, uh, priorities uh, and observations and, and input to help us shape what the draft even looks like to, to begin with. Um, and then we held, uh, last year, um, we held a second engagement period. After we've had a draft, we released a draft and asked for uh, comments specifically on, on that draft. So in, in some sense, what's in the plan now uh, really reflects um, the input that we both uh, uh, discovered during during our uh, background research, but also all the many conversations uh, and input we received through the engagement period. So those are really critical. All right. Thank you, Nikush. If you're just joining us, this is Talk of Alaska. And today we're discussing the release of the new five-year Arctic research plan. It was released in December. On the line with us are Mike Spraga, who is the chair of the U.S. Arctic Research Commission. Mike is also the founding director of the Polar Institute. We also have Nikush Carlo, who is the Arctic Research Plan Development Director and, a C and the CEO of CNC North Consulting. And Larry Hinsman is the executive director of the Interagency Arctic Research Policy Committee, or IARPIC. You can join our conversation if you have questions about the research, you have observations you'd like to share, or want to know how you can submit your own climate observations. You can join us statewide at 1 800 478 8255. 1 800 478 8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550 8422. 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. Mike, uh, I want to get you in here now. The Arctic Research Commission and IARPIC work in tandem. They were formed at the same time in 1984. You're the chair, the new chair of the commission, but describe what stands out in this plan from your perspective from past five-year iterations of this. What do you see as the most useful outcomes of these research efforts for the communities directly affected? Thank you, Lori. A couple of things. One, well, several things. One is a sense of urgency. 
uh, more more action oriented uh, in terms of what it means for our state, what it means for the direction of Arctic research that directly impacts our state, uh, the connections into our state in terms of uh, coordinating and discussing and working with uh, native communities, indigenous communities across our state. The cross-cut effort that Nakush just highlighted is important. This is going to take an interdisciplinary approach, not uh, having researchers in their focused fields and that's it. Uh, the problems, the challenges we face, the solution sets we need to address those challenges need this kind of cross-cutting, cross-disciplinary research. Uh, it's wonderful to have outstanding permafrost researchers and you know we have those in the state but but that research must cross cut to other disciplines to fully understand what's happening in our state so the sense of urgency uh the areas that nakush uh highlighted to me is is a venn diagram of a reflection of what's happening here in, in our state and that is looking at community resiliency looking at a systems approach to art to research versus a disciplinary approach uh, looking at the economic development and well-being of our communities, the fact that you can't separate research from uh, trying to make communities not just sustain themselves but thrive. And then the whole idea of mitigating risk, that takes, you know, that takes the entire team from economists to engineers uh, to social scientists to healthcare workers. So to me, uh, it's, it's a much more holistic approach. Uh, not that the others omitted things, but the way in which this has been addressed, moved forward, and then woven together is, is to me, a different approach, one that reflects the North and the one that can also perhaps address uh, the challenges that we face uh, in, a, in a more, in a more uh, not just urgent, but a more purposeful approach. And then, of course, the, the, where the rubber hits the road is the implementation plan for all of these things, which, which is upcoming. But that, to me, those those things stand out mostly. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Mike. And I want to get back to you in just a moment. We're going to go to the phones here. If you'd like to join our conversation, the number statewide is 1-800-478-8255. 1-800-478-8255. You can also, in the Anchorage area, dial the local number 550-8422. 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. Let's go to James in Anchorage. Hi, James. Hi, good morning. Um, guys, uh, we got the guy with the knife running around stabbing people, and you're trying to put Band-Aids on people. Um, that's respectful, I understand. Um, but if we're not going to talk about our carbon footprint, I mean, it's all over public TV. Nova just had a show on a negative feedback loop. Uh, methane being produced by melting permafrost. Um, BBC is doing stories on how it's the people who have wealth that are making the massive carbon footprints. It's not the poor people digging with a stick in India. Um, these are the issues that are going to really come back and bite us. It's really clear now, extreme weather events. Um, it's great that you're trying to solve these, uh, make fixes right now, but it I think it's obvious things are just going to continually change for the worse at a quicker rate. And if we don't start talking about the big issue, the elephant in the room, um, maybe the folks who live in the Arctic need to start screaming as loud as they can about the big issue in the room, or it's just going to, you know, they said there's four negative feedback loops which are feeding into this on NOVA the other day, and um, it, 
just looks like it's so bad people don't even want to talk about it. It's like a nightmare. And anyhow, um, if you don't want to talk about carbon footprints and how it's all our friends flying to Hawaii and um, driving halfway around the world or whatever, or heating our houses when there's hardly anybody in them and there's people under the, in the park under a tarp, um, yeah, I mean, these are the issues that we're going to have to start facing. How to put a Band-Aid when you haven't stopped a guy with a knife, I don't know. Anyhow, thank you. Um, I'll continue listening, but I'm still wondering why we're not talking about what needs to be done. All right. Thanks, James. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, the researchers are talking about how to better understand and uh, respond to what's happening. But, Mike, follow up a little bit there, your thoughts mm -hmm. on the frustrations that James was expressing. And how mm -hmm. does the Arctic Research Commission help policymakers get the information they need to make good decisions for the future of the Arctic and the world, of course? It's not just the Arctic, but what happens in the Arctic affects everything. How do you convince a lawmaker from Oklahoma, Louisiana, or Ohio that what happens in the Arctic affects them, not just Alaskans, and and um, as James was urging, uh, it has to be addressed? Yeah, well, I, I think, uh, let, let me approach this in two ways, Laurie, if you don't mind. One sure. is, uh, for those of us who work with leadership in Congress and in the administration, we have had to find ways to communicate why anybody from Iowa should care about what's happening in the Arctic. I don't pick on Iowa. I've driven through it. It's a fine state. But why should anyone there care about the North? And we have to show those connections, not just to the Arctic, but to the broader climate systems that James was talking about. And we have to show that it's not just something that in climate change, global heating, it doesn't just impact the poles or some specific area on a map, it impacts the entire globe. And so you have to explain this to lawmakers in ways that directly uh, address their constituents. And so we try to do that, that this is a global issue with local, varying local implications. And so if you're wondering about crop yield uh, and the impacts of climate on your crop yield, you are probably more astute to the changes in weather than maybe others are. So you have to make it so lawmakers understand why why somebody in, in Miami should care about what's happening in Greenland and Antarctica, on and on and on. Because if your insurance company doesn't want to insure your condominium on the coast of Miami, you've got a problem and that is happening. And so you have to relate it in that way. So that's, that's one way you can communicate to, to members of Congress, members to administration, lawmakers, it's gotta be something that is local to them. Now on the, the other side, they do see the global perspectives, but there's this sense of urgency that you just can't turn away from it anymore. And I think James is right. Report after report, devastation after devastation, news article after news article shows us that the trend line is bad. And so we have to do things. And that's where research comes in. You cannot form really good, sound, implementable policy unless you have sound research. And that's where the IARPIC plan comes in. And that's where the Arctic Research Commission comes in, working with the research community, working with local community leaders to figure out which priority areas for research must be done by the federal government and then fund those efforts so that when policymakers move forward on their policy development and implementation, they have good data that drives good policy. In terms of the relationship between the Arctic Research Commission and IARPIC, 
the Arctic Research Commission is an independent federal agency, and we do provide our goals and objectives to Congress because we uh, we were created by Congress. We advise the Office of the President, and we advise Congress on both domestic and international Arctic research and policies. Our goals and objectives reports that highlights priorities for the United States, and as you might imagine, a big filter there with the state of Alaska. Those priorities are then forwarded to IARPIC, to Larry, Nakush, and others, from which they then build their IARPIC plan. And then it's the commission's job to follow up on whether or not these plans are being followed, how they are funded, so that it's not just a whole of government approach in terms of who is sitting at the table deciding these things, but where the resources go to actually implement the five-year research plan. But to James's larger point, all of this is in consideration. Uh, there are some people who still believe that maybe climate change isn't happening or it's not as uh, dramatic as we all believe. I believe certainly that it is. Uh, but it's through work like this that we have to convince policymakers to make the changes uh, and also prepare our communities for what is ahead. Uh, and, and I would leave it to, you know, Larry and Nikush, and I'm certainly willing to, to talk about this, but, but this, is, this is in real time. This sense of urgency is not for a 20-year academic exercise. We have communities right now that need really good research, really good policy, so that they can adapt and mitigate, mitigate and adapt uh, to what is coming uh, and uh, sadly, what is already here in many parts of our own state. Yeah, absolutely. And as you noted, uh, it is happening in real time. We have stories uh, quite often about uh, the need for relocating communities, schools that are at risk of falling into rivers in in um, Alaska. And Mike, what is your level of optimism when you talk about those deciders who hold the purse strings? Congress is so divided. Do you see a path for funding to put adaptation and mitigation work into action right now when there isn't agreement, as you noted, uh, with everyone that climate change is even real? Yeah, I, I, perhaps I'm a bit Pollyanna on this. Um, and maybe it's because of the efforts that are going on uh, in IARPIC and the U.S. Arctic Research Commission, and, and a third leg of, uh, of an effort, which is the Arctic Executive Steering Committee, uh, which has been resurrected through this administration to coordinate efforts across the U.S. government, and then to identify funding mechanisms. So you have a Venn diagram of IARPIC, the U.S. Arctic Research Commission, and for those listening, I understand this alphabet soup. These are things that may be, be happening in D.C., but you should know that Alaskans like myself and Larry and Nakush and others are actually involved in these federal issues. So we, we try to bring Alaska to the fore, but also the Arctic Executive Steering Committee, whose job it is, is to coordinate the federal response um, to all things Arctic for the United States. And, and to bring all of these things to bear is the way to do it because you have to push on high priority areas for the federal government. And with the administration's welcoming of a whole of government approach, which is always difficult, the whole of anything is difficult to do, but at least with having these different organizations with many Alaskans engaged in those, I have a sense of optimism that we can move the ball forward. Can we solve this tomorrow? No. But with the help of our friend Ambassador Dave Bolton, who's the executive director of the Arctic Executive Steering Committee, and the entire team that surrounds that group, with Larry and Nakush and IARPIC, with myself and John Farrell and Cheryl Rosa, who lives right there in Anchorage, uh, all of us trying to push, and other colleagues trying to push on these, 
so that we can bring to Congress a compelling argument for not just funding the research, but there is the other part. What about the infrastructure that needs to be built and how it's built and who decides on which infrastructure where, how we can better understand fish migrations and subsistence patterns through a time of dramatic change? Who gets to decide on whether or not a village moves or not and where they go? All of these things, very complicated in real time, but that's where the power of connecting it to other states and our delegation, I think, has done a yeoman's job of trying to convince their colleagues in Congress that this is not an Alaskan issue, climate change or the Arctic. These are not just Alaskan issues. These are in the national interest. Addressing these issues are in the national interest. They are in humanity's interest. Right. We have about a decade, about a decade to try to get climate change um, uh, mitigated in such a way that we don't provide, we don't get to that tipping point. So we can spend this next most consequential decade, in my mind, the next most consequential decade, probably in humanity's time, either considering all the things we can do, or we can actually do all the things we are considering and have considered. And I think that's where the IARPIC plan helps to push it forward from consideration to action, the Arctic Research Commission from consideration to action, the Arctic Executive Steering Committee from consideration to action. And then we need our delegation and others like Senator King from Maine and other members of the House and Senate to help push forward on really what should be a Manhattan Project style effort from the federal government. Lori, I hope I, I, hope I answered that question. Uh, Thank you, Mike. Absolutely. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion with Mike Schraga, Nakush Carlo, and Larry Hinsman about the new five-year Arctic research plan. And we'll take your calls as Talk of Alaska continues statewide. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. People who smoke or have smoking-related conditions like lung and heart disease are more likely to get seriously ill from COVID-19. Not using any tobacco or e-cigarette products is one of the best ways to keep your immune system strong, ready to fight all kinds of viruses. If you decide to quit, help is available. Call Alaska's Tobacco Quit Line at 1-800-QUIT-NOW or text READY to 200-400 to get the support you need to quit for good. This message sponsored by Alaska's Tobacco Quit Line. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. We're discussing the new five-year Arctic Research Plan with Mike Schraga, the chair of the U.S. Arctic Research Commission. Mike is also the founding director of the Polar Institute. Nikush Carlo is on the line and is the Arctic Research Plan development director and CEO of CNC North Consulting. And Larry Hinsman is the executive director of the Interagency Arctic Research Policy Committee, or IARPIC. We're going to go to the phones for a moment now. Theodore is in Stebbins. Hello. Good morning and belated uh, uh, New Year's. <laughs> um, my name is Theodore Kachak, uh, often called uh, Atchikok, from Stebbins. And uh, for the last 
by the ten years we've had uh, encountered different different stories. We live in an island, um, Stevenson, San Marco Island. So uh, we've seen a lot of uh, problems along the coast and our flats. Uh, our flats are extended from Stevens all the way to Point Romero, which is about 30 mile length and often seven to eight mile width. So uh, all of that land was submerged last fall and this this fall. So it's been occurring for the last last uh, ten years of flooding, and often the flats are submerged. So we have a water source called Clear Lake, and uh, it's one of the five lakes, crater lakes that we have. So on the last flooding, I noticed there's a, a drain off to the flats. So uh, in maybe five to ten years, that if it breaches, that uh, flood will breach the land over to the clear lake. Then our, we will probably have problem getting water. So. Um, like I said, we have uh, the only water source we have is those clear lakes, crater lakes uh, that were uh, left after the volcanoes erupted and died. So uh, I think FEMA should uh, uh, focus on villages all the way from up north down to Crystal Bay. So. Uh, I, that's my uh, modest idea or suggestion that uh, we need to have our uh, villages be focused here in Alaska more often. Than, um, so uh, I would, yeah. Thank, thank you, Theodore, for those observations and such important points uh, about all the myriad ways that communities and, and people are affected as climate change advances, uh, as Theodore was relaying. It could mean that their fresh water source, their only fresh water source, is compromised by the change that's coming and um, as things melt. Uh, I'd like to let any of you respond to Theodore's comments. And then, Larry, I, I want to ask you about some permafrost s studies. So does anybody want to respond to to uh, Theodore's, Theodore's observations about the concerns in Stebbins? Actually, I'd love to. So this is Larry. Um, so Theodore is correct as far as the uh, – that's so um, as you know, Larry, I was a, a hydrologist at the University of Alaska – for 30 years, and so I, I studied this issue extensively. We looked a lot at the uh, the number of shrinking lakes around Alaska, and just the change in the uh, in the water resources of Alaska driven by climate change. And this actually goes back to the question that, that James asked too. And so maybe I'll just touch on that just first. And that so I do want to I do want to make clear that we are very much this plan does very much focus on climate change. So the uh, second priority research area that Nikush talked about was Arctic system interactions. And what that means is looking at all of the ways the various processes in 
the, and the natural processes interact to affect the, the global climate dynamics and how those global climate dynamics drive Alaskan processes such as degradation of the sea ice or degradation of permafrost or changes in the uh, changes in the, the water resources that we have. Uh, for many of our small communities there, they store water from these small, very small streams that run across the top of the permafrost and the communities will pump that water out of those small streams into large tanks so they can uh, have enough water through the winter. Mm -hmm. And so that's a very tenuous water supply. And, and as, the, uh, as the permafrost degrades, those small streams can essentially uh, sink into the permafrost and, and be gone. And so that very, very unstable water source, un this small water supply is, is endangered, is threatened. And so those communities are very vulnerable with respect to their availability of water. And that is very much a process that's driven by climate change. And so all of, all of what we're looking at in, in Alaska from, from uh, hazard mitigation, risk management to economies, almost everything is in the Arctic is touched by climate change in some way. And so we are very much focused on, on how the climate is changing. And that comes back to the one of the priorities, the strong priorities of the Biden administration is to understand and react to climate change. Um, I am glad that you took that first question from, from James to Mike first, because the Arctic Research Commission does address policy. And so they do inform and advise the, uh, the president and Congress with respect to policy changes that should be made. IARPIC does not, we do research. We help develop the understanding, the data, the, the information that's needed to, to inform policy and make good policy. And so how, how these water resources are changing in Alaska and, and across the Arctic, that is something that we in IARPIC are very concerned about. So I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. Thank you. And, and I want to get back to permafrost in a bit, but uh, I want to go back to the phones right now. Eleanor is in Dillingham. Hello. Hi. Did you have a question? Uh, yeah, I was going to tell you that, well, um, don't you tell you the past studies that have already taken place, like um, acid rain that's affecting the starting grounds of the fish, that to the uh, the east coast fisheries. Then we have mines that are growing here. We have the red duck mine and the downland, and there's one in Fairbanks. I don't know what that one's called. But all that acid rain uses a lot of water, and all these all the sulfuric acids that are that have gone into the oceans from these mountains from all over this world. There's lots and lots of mining that. Um, all the acid sulfuric walls, they've drained into the streams and rivers and lakes and everything. And our marshes out here are getting sparse of water. We used to have big um, lakes we'd skate on when we were young, but now we have, there's nothing there. There's nobody skating there anymore. They're so small and there's no more ponds. And we know that the ponds and lakes are connected underground. And, um... The jets, the fuels, don't they dispense fuels out there? It's drying up the land and it's causing a lot of fires and evaporations and creating massive drainage. Now we have evergreen trees that are starting to have 
their needles turning orange, and I don't know, I, I would suppose there's some acid drain from all the mining. And it's been going on for years. And um, I had a question about these re research people going up Arctic. Are you guys digging around for gold and resources and all that other stuff just for just to fund your programs? What was the question again, Eleanor? I was having a hard time hearing you. Oh, um, if if the research programs are digging around for resources to fund their um, researches, you guys are causing more oxygen, more pollution, more world destruction. You guys call it development. We call it destruction. Okay. Well, we're talking to the researchers who are studying these things, uh, so... Let's let them respond. Eleanor was talking about, you know, the some of what we were discussing earlier uh, as it relates to changing melting conditions, especially in permafrost and how lakes that were large when she was young are no longer large or non-existent. And that leads me back to this permafrost question, Larry. Uh, science studies were just compiled and published in the journal Nature Reviews Earth and Environment today. It includes work from seven UAF researchers. One of the findings note that data stretching back to the 50s shows widespread erosion in coastal communities throughout the Arctic, including changes in Siberia, Northwest Alaska, and Canada. And all but one of the 14 sites reviewed in the study is losing ground with erosion rates nearly roughly doubling since the early 2000s. Doubling. Does the research show that this acceleration is likely to continue at this pace? And if so, how should coastal communities be thinking about this? Um, you know, we had the call earlier from Theodore and Stebbin saying FEMA needs to be taking a look. Is is that the response? What do you what do you think needs to happen um, in light of these uh, these studies that were published just today? Well, Eleanor is correct. So the there are a lot of changes that are ongoing that are being driven by climate. The ocean acidification is being driven by the, uh, the CO2 uptake of the oceans, and it, it is making the oceans much more acidic. And that does have, uh, that does have an effect upon our, uh, the fisheries and other, other marine species in there. As far as your, your question, Laurie, with respect to the, uh, the coastal erosion and how it's the rates of erosion are accelerating, you're also correct. And that's, that's a very big issue for for Alaska, because so many of our communities are located along the coast or along, along the rivers, and riverine erosion is also a real problem for us. And it does come back to the to the uh, the truth that the permafrost is degrading. So the, the the coastal erosion, the permafrost degradation along the coast, that's driven by several several processes. One of them is the fact that uh, that the the air temperature and the surface temperature is warming, so the permafrost is degrading. The, the other the process that's really important is that uh, we're losing a lot of the sea ice, and the sea ice has served as a barrier to the, to the wave action in the wintertime, but we're losing that sea ice now. And so what happens is we're getting bigger waves, more waves, more storms, and that's transferring that energy to the uh, coast, and that's causing the, uh, the erosion to accelerate or, or uh, to degrade really rapidly. And the other issue is that the there is no way to, to 
there is no mechanism that's that's going to stop us from accelerating at this point. We're seeing that we expect the climate's going to continue to warm unless we have some serious mitigation efforts. The climate is going to continue to warm. And what that means is the uh, surface is going to continue to warm more. The permafrost is going to continue to degrade. The sea ice is going to degrade. The waves are going to increase. Storms are going to increase, and that's going to increase uh, coastal erosion. Mm. And that is a problem for our communities. And so, we, as a state, we in our communities, need to decide how we're going to respond to this. We have to think about whether we can uh, whether we can uh, protect those coastlines. Whether the communities need to move. That's this is something that's a serious issue for our communities, for our state, and for our nation. Absolutely. We are going to take another quick break. When we come back, we'll pick up that thread about what those mitigation efforts should look like as Talk of Alaska continues. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. One of the greatest honors for a public media station is delivering on its promise to provide quality programming and news you can trust to the communities it serves. What you hear on air is the result of a dedicated team working together to bring you the best. It's a privilege to be a part of your day. Thank you for listening, for your feedback, and for your support. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. We're discussing the five-year Arctic Research Plan. We had a call earlier in the program um, from someone in, in Anchorage who was saying that until we uh, attack the what he considers the main driver, which is burning fossil fuels that, you know, that's got to be the discussion. And now we're going to hear from uh, someone in Nome. Austin is calling in from Nome and may have similar concerns. Austin, hello. Hey, good morning. Um, you know, the, the previous Arctic Research Plan was very strong on development. In fact, it was a development plan for the Arctic. And I'm not convinced that this plan is any different what we really need is an Arctic research plan that transcends politics because we don't know who the next president's going to be, right? The the real issue is the, you know, greenhouse gas emissions. Not a single country across the entire globe has removed oil and gas from their portfolio. We are essentially mashing the throttle to more destruction, more climate change. And unfortunately, what that means for us in the Arctic, us and we in the Arctic, we want peace. We want to be able to continue our life. Unfortunately, what that means for us in the Arctic, us Alaska Native people, is that we are going to be destroyed. We're going to be destroyed in numerous ways. Um, shipping poses a huge threat to our communities. Uh, it has already impacted this region, the Bering Strait region, with uh, now two years of a debris event. Uh, it also means that development uh, issues, for instance, Port of Nome expansion. The Port of Nome has for over 100 years destroyed Alaska Native people, destroyed the, the lifestyle that we've enjoyed, destroyed our place in society. The current Arctic Research Plan does not put in place strong enough things to help us Alaskan people walk hand in hand, go go hand in hand with the with the science community to address climate change. You know, we've been we've been noticing climate change since the nineteen forties in an exponential way. And I, I'm what I mean by exponential, not exponential in the rhetorical sense. I mean exponential in the mathematical sense. In the 1940s, we were, we were before the knee of the curve. In the 1970s, we were, at the, we were at the knee of the curve, and now we're past the knee of the curve. We could have helped the scientific community develop stronger solutions to climate change had we been 
consulted many 60 years ago instead of instead of now essentially and so that is the big challenge that we have before us to address climate change to stop greenhouse gas emissions so thank you thank you austin for um, your thoughtful comments and nakush this kind of leads me uh, to a question that I wanted to put to you. The new five-year plan specifically acknowledges the negative effects of colonization on indigenous people in the Arctic. So what does that acknowledgement amount to? Does it change consultation, the scope of the work, and who shapes future policy? What does it mean? Yeah, thanks, Lori, um, and Rusty Corona, uh, Austin, and all the other callers. Um, I wanted to touch on IARPIC um, and its role in coordination, both within um, the federal um, family, within the federal government, but also importantly with those who are outside the federal government who contribute to this type of research work, because that's critically important and I think um, relates to uh, a thread that has been brought up by, by all of the callers, which is um, carbon um, footprint, um, uh, carbon um, use um, generally. Um, and this is where coordination has some uh, influence and help both in coordinating what's happening, um, who's talking to who within the federal government, but also how um, federal agencies are also communicating with those outside the federal government. And IARTIC has um, something called um, collaboration teams will also will be setting up um, priority area um, collaboration teams as well later. Um, and this um, is a space that everyone is welcome to. It is mostly a virtual um, space. If you go to IARPIC, I-A-R-P-C, collaborations.org, um, you can, if you're interested, you can um, join the communities there and, and get involved in, in some of the discussions around topics that um, you're really interested in. You can also download um, the new plan there as well. Um, but this is a very unique um, sort of mechanism in which to communicate with um, the federal government. I don't know um, of another mechanism that provides this opportunity to really sort of strengthen relationships among federal agencies, um, communities, um, researchers, state of Alaska nonprofits, private sector, international organizations, everyone is is welcome. Um, so um, that is, is something that is a strength of IARPIC, I think, and a, and a real asset to um, Arctic research. Um, now, really, um, looping back to your question, um, uh, Lori, uh, so yes, the, the plan um, acknowledges the, the horrific uh, influence of, of, of colonization. Um, it acknowledges uh, the need and necessity and requirement to include um, indigenous knowledge, um, cultures, uh, recognizes and respects um, tribal sovereignty and the importance of self-determination. That is a, a framework that is at the beginning of the plan and sort of carries um, throughout. Um, another place I'll point to um, in the plan is the foundational activity on indigenous um, leadership in research um, uh, and participatory research. And that's generally defined as leadership and research by indigenous peoples, entities, groups, and communities. 
And so this is key and leads back to sort of um, the collaboration, the coordination element, um, and um, also the self-determination. Um, and uh, what that exactly looks like, the plan also acknowledges needs to be developed by indigenous peoples um, who are interested in, in doing so. So that is a, that is a big shift. Um, I think, but really uh, a foundation for um, that the plan is building on. And um, uh, we look forward to seeing what that looks like and how that develops um, in the years to come. All right. Thank you, Nikush. Let's go back to the phones for a moment. We're running out of time quickly here, and there's so much to discuss. Representative Greer Hopkins from Fairbanks is on the line. Hello. Hi. Yeah. Thank you for taking my call, and uh, thank you, Dr. Hinsman, for all the work uh, that you've done and, and Nikush for jumping on earlier as well. Um, you know, been listening and I really appreciate uh, the, the dialogue today. I was hoping you could touch base, uh, Dr. Hensman, on how this work and, and this uh, plan will, will benefit everyday Alaskans and what they might be able to put it to work. And then how uh, would it support the state as a whole and what we in Juno can do to help uh, push this uh, important information? Well, thank you very much, Representative Hopkins. I appreciate you listening, and I, I really appreciate your question. I think that is what we've really tried to address with respect to this plan. We are really sincerely trying to address the pragmatic issues that are, that are being faced by the people of Alaska and the people of the Arctic. And so... And I, and I certainly feel that that is to the benefit of the state of Alaska and to the government of, of Alaska. So there's issues where, as we've talked about earlier, coastal erosion and the impacts on communities, that's very, very important to the state. And there's work that we need to do that we can identify areas of stability along the coast and areas of vulnerability. We need to do work with respect to uh, improving the construction design criteria. So if we can build better better buildings, better roads that are not so susceptible to, uh, to permafrost degradation, if we can build um, buildings that have a longer lifespan and don't, won't, uh, won't degrade over time, if we can improve uh, our understanding of what the environment is gonna be like in, in 20, 50, and 100 years, then we can do a better job building buildings, of designing buildings that will have a longer lifespan. And those are the types of issues that we can that we can attack under this plan in the next five years. Those are the types of, of contributions that we can make to help improve the uh, communities in their, uh, in, in their, their e economies. That's the way that we can help the state of Alaska help their stretch their uh, resources. Those, those are the impacts that we can have that makes life better for, for everyone. And we can do this. And I'll, I'll stop there or toss it to Nikush or Mike if you want to add to that. And, and I would ask too, Mike, uh, because we're, we're just uh, about a, got about a minute and a half left here, what do you think would be ideal for Arctic infrastructure investment for the U.S.? Uh, right now, this plan emphasizes practical needs for Arctic residents. What do you think needs to be done in policy to address those needs immediately? That's a big question, Lori. Thank you. And very nice to hear Representative Hopkins uh, listening and calling in. Very much appreciate that. Two, a couple things to add on to Larry's comments. One is, um, in, in terms of our state, in, state investment in research, 
you, you will benefit from having that. We have some of the best researchers at our university investing in our research capacity. We've spent a hundred years building a university whose time has come. It is now that we need this university more than ever. And so I would say that investing in, in the research capacity of our, our researchers in our state is something that can happen at the state level. In terms of the national dialogue, uh, Larry's comment about building to the future, building to the future, future codes, future um, uh, capacity building uh, in terms of the infrastructure of our state. It, we, we're going under a fund fundamental change. So two prongs. One is if we can work with the federal government and, and state leadership on changing the way we think about the built environment and then the codes and the structures, not for tomorrow or 20 years, but for 50 years out, that's, that's one policy mechanism. The second is, it, are there ways to influence the significant billions of dollars coming in from the infrastructure bill? Do we have a conceptual and practical plan for the state of Alaska to harden our current uh, environment, whether it's a port in Anchorage, whether it's our road system, whether it's right here in the interior of Alaska with our rail system, wherever. Do we have those in place to, to fortify those for what is coming? And do they somehow, and I would, I would think they do, somehow uh, appropriately enhance the economic development opportunities for our state as well? Uh, and diversify our economy. There's a w there are ways to do this. And I think we have to communicate to DC what's important to the state of Alaska. Communicating to Washington DC what's in our best interest here and influencing the allocation of resources, the allocation and the changing of policies. I will, add, I will end with this. I believe it was Theodore that talked about FEMA. Right now, FEMA focuses on a hurricane, a tornado, you know, a major disaster that moves in. We are a state that's experiencing slow moving disaster after slow moving disaster, and they have stacked up to bring us the reality that we currently have. Mm. So there could be changes in FEMA's policy where we look at these slow moving disasters that are impacting our villages. Um, we'll have to FEMA leave it there, Mike. Thank you. I'm sorry, but we're going to have to leave it there. I think often of Sheila Watt Cloutier, an indigenous environmental advocate from Quebec, saying we have the right to be cold. Arctic people have the right to be cold. Thank you so much to our guests, Mike Sfraga, chair of the U.S. Arctic Research Commission, Nikush Carlo, the Arctic Research Plan Development Director, and Larry Hinsman, the executive director of the Interagency Arctic Research Policy Committee. Tobin Shelby is our engineer, and our producer is Adeline Baxter. Wesley Early was on phones today. I'm Lori Townsend. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Talk of Alaska is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Today's program is available online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media. Alaska Public Media.